Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Today, we're going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist here at uscfootball.com. You guys have sent in a bunch of questions. We are counting down. Only eight days left until USC spring football starts. So a bunch of questions have been coming in. We're going to try to address each and every one of your concerns, your curiosities. If you want to Send us whatever you got on your mind, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call us at 424-254-9141. Leave a voicemail. we got a couple of voicemails to play today. You can even send us a text, and we're going to read at least one of those texts today, too. So text or call 424-254-9141. Try to keep them brief, and uh, we'd love to play your thoughts here on the Peristyle Podcast. And uh, I guess this is the last week, Dan, before... We're talking about football again, so pretty exciting that, that spring ball is just around the corner. It, it, it's kind of hard to believe. I, I, it doesn't seem that all that long ago since uh, since the uh, the Cotton Bowl. Uh, I, I'm, it seems quicker this year than almost any year I can remember uh, from the end of the season to the to spring ball. I don't know why that is. I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't have a good explanation. Uh, there wasn't as much recruiting going on because of the uh, early signing day. Um, you know, basketball didn't exactly, uh, you know, wasn't quite where it was last year. I, I don't, I don't have a good explanation. It just seems uh, uh, that it's happened quicker. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not. Sure. I don't think I have a good explanation either. But here we are, and uh, it's going to be talking about it. We're going to have some previews and everything going up on uscfootball.com and next week we'll try to do a couple shows with harvey hyde and dan weber before tuesday when spring ball actually gets started so we'll do some kind of preview here on the podcast too today is going to be more about some of the questions and uh we want to talk about physicality at usc spring football but before we jump into that i just want to thank our sponsor aura organics i just got some of their products in the mail if you don't know about them so they create ridiculously nutritious and delicious supplements that are better for the people and the planet. So sounds good. They or or organics was created by and for healthy foodies to replace synthetic supplements with nutrients uh, from organic and sustainable sources. So they're it's a cool product. Uh, that means omega three, microalgae, protein from plants, and because they love food, Aura has their very own chef who creates delicious flavors for their products. They're made in California. They're vegan, organic, gluten free, dairy free, soy free, non GMO. And sustainably soar. So in a lot of supermarkets, you go in, you walk down the aisle, you'll see, uh, uh, you know, you know, health conscious products and produce, organic potato chips, vegan ice cream, sustainable cleaning products, all that kind of stuff. But what about organic neutral nutritional supplements? That's where or organics comes in. So I've tried a few of them so far. I've got the, uh, your golden tablets. Uh, they're good for joint stress. So I've been taking those every day. And my favorite is the so lean and so clean chocolate, uh, protein powder. So, I put a couple of scoops of that in with some almond milk and uh, and a banana and a, and a teaspoon of of um, peanut butter, and it's a great protein shake. And I use it for for breakfast sometimes or uh, after a workout, so it's pretty cool. But so you can try Aura Organic, fifteen percent off your first order if you use the promo code 
USC at www.aura.organic. So it's .aura.organic. So there's no .com, aura.organic. Um, so 15% off your first order using promo code USC. So check it out. And if you do, uh, you know, definitely drop me an email. Let me know how you like it. I've been, uh, I've been looking for some kind of supplement, uh, to use because starting to work out again. And, uh, this has been a really cool one for me. All right, Dan, well, let's jump in. Uh, we had a really interesting question. Tarek always asks very quick, uh, to the point questions that usually kind of describe what the fan base is thinking. And I think this is like one of the biggest questions we want to know about spring football. He said, with Stephen Carr out for spring football, can we expect no serious physicality in practice? What do you think? I think I think the opposite. I think you got to be more physical. You know, if you're going to be uh, missing uh, one of your guys uh, that you'd really like to integrate into a uh, and maybe a, a better thought out run game uh, scheme. Uh, I think you got to re- work harder on being physical. You got to work harder up front. Uh, so, uh, so I don't, I don't, I, I'm the opposite. I, I have the opposite view and the opposite take that, uh, that that would call for more physicality and, uh, more hard work. Doesn't necessarily mean you got to tackle people to the ground. Uh, but I think, uh, especially on offense, I think you really got to work at the, work at the run game, work at all the pieces of the run game, work at the way you, you know, going to run the quarterbacks. Uh, uh, are you going to bring in a, you know, a, another back to block or what are you going to do with the tight ends? Uh, got very little out of the tight ends last year. Uh, didn't do a whole lot of blocking, didn't do a whole lot of catching. Uh, can't play 10 on 11. And, uh, so, so no, I, Tarek, I think, uh, I think it goes the opposite way, uh, with Steven being out. Do you, so I think, I think that's a sound philosophy. But from what I've seen, uh, what we've seen over the last couple of years, do you think that's what we're going to see out there? Do you think it's going to be a physical water? Or do you think that's where it should be, but not necessarily what's going to happen? Yeah, I don't have a clue. I don't, I don't <laughs> have a good way of reading this, the, the, the thinking. I mean, I look at some of the stuff that this team ran in the red zone, some of the stuff they ran at goal line, and you think, what the hell were they thinking? <laughs> and, uh, so I don't know. I mean, has there been enough backlash after, uh, you know, really getting manhandled by Notre Dame, really getting manhandled by Ohio State, two of the teams that through the years, I mean, through, since the 20s, USC has measured itself nationally against the Notre Dames and the Ohio States. And, you know, that they came up really short this past year. And I know, you know, the, the the theme is, and you want to be positive, is uh, 11 wins, first Pac-12 championship. But I think deep down, the fan base uh, kind of lives with the history of USC football. And I think the USC football program has to live with it. And I think those two games were so, um, they were so non-competitive physically in those two games uh, that one would hope that would inform their thinking going forward. Again, we haven't, we haven't seen it. It's been a, uh, you know, it's been a, a succession of quarterback head coaches. Quarterbacks probably, you know, three straight head coaches who were quarterbacks in college. Um, they're not hitting the balking sled, you know, they're not, uh, they're wearing yellow jerseys. Quarterbacks see the game differently. Uh, I think they've got to maybe start seeing the game a little more physically. 
uh, and it's not so much about getting your steps down and getting the, oh, it's all timing and all that. It's a violent game, and uh, you have to be able to play with the kind of violence at the very top level. Can you still keep winning the Pac-12 and play the way USC's been playing? Yeah, you probably can. You got all the, you know, you got the best players. But uh, if you want to take that next step, which everybody at USC from Max Nikias to Lynn Swan to Clay Helton says they do, that competing for national championships step, they have to get more physical. There's no question about it. Now, you could even decide, yes, we want to get more physical and not know how to do it. Although you would think that a guy like, uh, for example, offensive line coach Neil Calloway, he's got more SEC championship rings than anybody alive. You know, he's a guy that was, you know, Bear Bryant's most inspirational player. He's a guy who was offensive line coach and, and offensive coordinator at places like Auburn, Georgia, and Alabama. I mean, he understands physicality. Now, there are times when you would ask Coach Callaway about something with the offense, and he would say, that's a Clay Helton question. I'm not answering that. Uh, so I don't know. I don't think we really know. Uh, I do think we know, you know, obviously, Kenichi Yudezi understands physicality. I mean, you know, he and everybody played with, uh, played with physicality on those, uh, those great, uh, P. Carroll teams. So, uh, I would, would love to have been able to hear some of the debate, uh, between the end of the season and now among the coaches as to how do we, how do we get them to be able to play with physicality? I know this, uh, Delane McCullough got them, got the running backs to play with physicality. And it wasn't anything that they were doing in terms of 11 on 11 necessarily. He got them with all the really interesting kind of, you know, one of a kind stuff that he did, uh, you know, with ball security and seeing where the, the, the second level was going to be and figuring out in your head, you know, what the cuts were going to be and all the things that he did that resulted in the uh, uh, running backs being able to play more physical and still not, you know, drop the football. Uh, so, I think there are a lot of ways you can do it, but I think it'll be pretty obvious if they've made that decision. Yes, we are not going to be reactive. We're not going to depend on our uh, steps. You know, We're not going to be an offensive line that you look at and you say, oh, they're trying to get their steps down. No, they're actually <laughs> going to go out and attack people. Uh, and uh, we'll see. I mean, I think they really have to to rethink uh, where they are if they want to take that next step. And, you know, they can't just block people by getting your steps down. There's a, that kind of reminded me of um, our friends over at Reino Troy. They, there's a, a, a former offensive line coach that they always seem to mention a lot. And uh, I remember that was like a big emphasis, you know, and, and at some point, I think technique, all that stuff is important. But at some point, like you said, you just have to plow into somebody. You have to hit somebody. You have to, you know, be physical with them. So if, you know, 30% of your weight isn't on your right big toe, yes, maybe that's bad, but it's, if you're not, if you're just getting trucked over, that doesn't really matter all that much. Well, I know this, um, I was talking to a group, uh, uh, Trojan football fans, uh, the football fanatics group down in Vista last week. And, uh, I started out by mentioning, cause we, we, again, uh, the fans are tuned into this whole physicality thing. And so I remember saying, well, here's, Here's where we are as far as I'm concerned. And I was down on the field, and you were down there too, in the end zone at the Cotton Bowl, 
And just by luck, uh, Ohio State's D-line guys happened to be working out. Like, I mean, you could reach out and touch them. They, we were just happened to be standing in the corner of the end zone where they're working out. And they go for about seven or eight minutes, and I'm like, okay. You knew they were good. You see them on film. You can't always tell for sure or see them on TV. And then you see them up close, and you go, holy cow, this is going to be. So I remember after that, after watching those guys for seven or eight minutes, I, I walked over to kind of take a look uh, at the other end. And I was standing at the end of the USC bench. And who walks up, as he sometimes does, Max Nikias. And he, he asked the same question every time. How are we going to do? And I said, watching those Ohio State D linemen work out uh, just for seven or eight minutes, they worked harder than I think USC has since the end of the season. I said, I don't see how we block them. I'm really just seeing them in person, seeing the, the way their coaches, what they demand of them, seeing their physical abilities, seeing how many of them there are. Said I don't know how this USC team blocks that Ohio State team. You know, it wasn't that hard a call after seeing that Ohio State team, those guys get ready for the game, and uh, that's what has to change. You don't want to be able to, to, you know, you at least stand them off. I mean, the thing that's sad about the Cotton Bowl, if USC's offensive line could have stood off Ohio State, just get them to a draw. USC wins the game. The defense played a winning game. Sam Darnold actually had a pretty good game. The receivers did. I mean, they, they, they you know, had more than 400 yards to Iowa State's 280. But when the going got tough, when they got down close, they couldn't punch it in. They couldn't move it. They couldn't block somebody when they had to block somebody. So that, to me, is that's where it's got to, that's where it's got to start, where it's got to happen. And, uh, it was pretty obvious that USC, for example, and this makes you worry a little bit, because USC saw a lot of Ohio State film. I mean, we didn't study film on Ohio State, but when we got that one chance to look at them and see, here's what they're bringing, you thought, the way USC plays, they can't block them. And then you would have said, well, what does USC do to adjust to that? Do they change? You know, there was some talk that they'd go fast, you know, and they'd go the hurry-up offense and try to throw Ohio State off. They didn't do that. Did they bring in a blocking back? Did they bring in an extra offensive line? Did they do anything? They didn't. That was not good. So what will they do in the spring? I don't know. I guess, as we say, stay tuned. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> we'll we'll find out soon enough. Um Okay, so keeping along the that question was about, um, you know, starting with the running backs, you know, with Stephen Carr being out. This is uh, we actually got a succession of three voicemails. I'm going to play you the first one, and then I'll give you a kind of description of the other two. From here we go. Hi, fellas. I want this to go to everybody and for all of the listeners to hear, and uh, hopefully you guys can ask the coaches about this. We don't need a running back coach from another school. We need to mimic what our last running back coach was doing. We have all the videos. We know how big he wanted our running backs to be. He bulked up the smaller ones. He recruited 
a real big one. That's what we were going to. We have to continue what he's doing with an assistant. Whoever was the closest to him, uh, he had to have some kind of assistant as the running back coach. Move him up or whoever you want and run the same type of system because our running backs improve. We don't want a new person with a different system. He might want scat backs again, real little bitty fast guys like we normally have this <clears throat> aren't durable and don't have the power. In the championship game this year, Alabama and Georgia, all I saw was big backs. Even the short ones were big. <clears throat> we need to continue to do what our running back coach did last year. We don't need a new philosophy. Curtis from Moreno Valley. And then uh, he also wrote in, he called in a couple times saying, um, Helton's head coach. He just forces whoever they hire to be, to run McCullough's system. And then he said, and plus the running backs, uh, another voicemail was that the running backs that in the system now, uh, that are on the team now already know the current system. So he's a big proponent of doing exactly what Dylan McCullough was doing. Your thoughts, Dan? Well, I mean, you can't do any better than Dylan McCullough did. Uh, but, uh, uh one of the issues is, uh, one of the thing, reasons it was so good is it was so it was unique, uh, I think, in a lot of ways to Dylan. It was stuff that he had developed over the years uh, as a running back, as a coach, even as a principal, as a teacher. Uh, I think he understood how to engage his pupils, and he understood things. I mean, the unique, you know, the water-filled football and the football on a spring and all the stuff. Uh, and the way he engaged them in practice and the way he would have the uh, barrel set up um, to give them a visual uh, picture of where they would make their, you know, second cut and things like that. Uh, I'm not sure you can, you can actually mimic him, but I think you take everything out of what he did um, uh, going forward. I, I, I like the idea of trying to make the transition as smooth as possible We've had situations over the years where uh, they would bring in a new D-line coach, for example, and I would ask him, I still remember this one, uh, a guy whose name you've heard, and probably recently even, uh, not at USC in the NFL, and I remember saying, you got him uh, with the other foot back uh, from the way they did it last year, and he said, oh, he said, I said, did you look at last year's film where they had been really successful? And, and and take a cue from that. And he said, nah, nah, I don't look at that stuff. I just, I do what I do. And it didn't work out so well. And uh, so I, I don't want somebody to come in and say, I do what I do. I would like somebody to come in and figure out what worked so well for you guys last year. And look at the video and the practices. Uh, is somebody else going to be able to do what Deland did? Uh, probably not. Uh, do we want somebody to change much of what he did so well? Uh, no. And, uh, I think there's, it's going to be a challenge to be the new running backs coach because those guys, uh, they loved what they were doing with the land and they knew they were getting better and they were excited about it every day. They loved practice. He made it fun and interesting and challenging. Um, and if you can get somebody to do all of those things, Maybe all the details aren't the same, although if I thought, you know, the, the guy could pull it off, and if the guy thinks he could pull it off, I'd find that I'd get, you know, I'd come in and say, where are those, you know, water-filled footballs? 
and exactly how does this spring thing work? And it didn't take a lot of time in practice. They went quickly from one thing to the next to the next. Uh, but one of the best things I think he did was the recognition of, uh, of where that first cut's going to be, where that second cut's going to be. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think that's how I would go, uh, to land. I also, some of the coaches kind of had, uh, assistance, grant assistance or whatever. Land really didn't. Land was, was pretty much on his own. You don't have that many running backs. So one guy can usually, uh, usually handle it. But, uh, but I think integrating the run and he was also the run game coordinator, although I don't think he had the final say into, you know, in terms of you know, what the whole scheme was and, uh, you know, who, how many people are going to have a line of scrimmage, how many people are going to have at the point of attack. I don't think they ever figure that out. So um, this will be a good time to be coming in as running back coach from that standpoint because they can't go anywhere but up in terms of uh, uh, of figuring out the schemes of, 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 you know, and maybe it was they were so involved with Sam uh, trying to, you know, keep him, uh, you know, being the Sam Darnold of the Rose Bowl that, the run game got lost a little bit, and then Ronald Jones was just so superior against most teams that USC played that you gave him just, you know, sand them off, and Ronald had a chance. Um, but he didn't have a chance, you know, against Notre Dame, didn't have a chance against uh, against Ohio State, and that was, that was too bad. Um, keep it with the same... Uh, theme, Dan, as far as running backs go. We had a question. Uh, I'm sorry, let me pull up here from Aaron in Los Angeles. He said, in regards to Stephen Carr's injury, it's been reported as a herniated disc. This is typically a weight room injury. Do you have any word on how it happened? And does USC need to take a look at the strength and conditioning program? Well, I think you always do. You always have to take a look at it. Uh, I think Steven is one of these kids that would be, uh, you know, nobody would work harder. Nobody would push himself farther. Nobody expects more out of himself. Uh, uh, I, I think it's something we will explore when we get, you know, to next week. We really haven't gotten much, much feedback on things. I mean, I've heard, I heard, I've heard one encouraging point of view that maybe it's not as serious as it appears. Um, uh, it's just one of those kinds of things you get from inside the team uh, that, uh, you know, it is what, what it's diagnosed as, but not a, a, a terribly serious uh, thing. Uh, but, but yeah, you would have to suspect that, 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 that it was some part of the winter uh, conditioning. I know we heard, we heard something though to the effect that maybe it wasn't directly weightlifting. Uh, again, these are just things that, you know, come from inside the team, but yeah, I think you got to take a look at, uh, at everything they're doing. I thought they made some real progress last year in terms of, uh, the conditioning work and the way they, uh, tied in all the drills and all the quickness and all the running and all the endurance stuff to, uh, football related movements. I thought they did a really good job of that. And I think that's what the really good programs are doing is they're, they're not just having you do conditioning for conditioning's sake, but that they're doing, uh, position specific conditioning. I thought, 
in most situations last year, I thought this was a well-conditioned team. I didn't think you ever saw them much at the very end, uh, uh, you know, run out of bodies, run out of, uh, you know, ability to, to play through the end of the game. Uh, so I thought they did a pretty good job with the conditioning part of it. As far as the weightlifting and the building up uh, bodies, I think in some cases, I mean, obviously Ronald Jones, I thought got to exactly where you needed, needed him to be. Um, I, I think, in, you know, some of the linemen, not sure they got exactly where I mean, Joshua too, though, I thought, you know, at 320, I thought he was a, uh, he was a, you know, good looking uh, plug guy down, you know, you, you're not going to get Stevie, you know, Tui Kalavatu back, but, but I thought they built him up, you know, from a guy that was like 280 something, uh, coming out of, or is in his second year at Long Beach, uh, City College. I thought he, uh, he was a guy that made a lot of progress. So some we, you know, we saw some, some we didn't. Uh, but yes, keep, cause that's the cutting edge stuff. That's where, you know, the Alabamas, uh, have moved ahead and stayed ahead. It's where, uh, uh Stanford for a long time seemed to have an advantage. Uh, it's where USC has to be, uh, you know, to, to be where they say they want to be. We, uh, we have another one from Tarek. Is there anyone on the offensive line you think is playing out of position? Huh, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure we know where all the – I mean, I, I think Toa – I would rather have Toa at center. I mean, I think uh, that would be – that seems to be more his his natural position. Um, but ba bum I don't, I don't think it's a positional thing. I, I don't, I don't think, you know, that's the issue. Um, I just think they, you know, have to get, I mean, I like the size. Uh, I mean, obviously Chuma, you know, is going to be, he's, a, he's an outlier. Uh, you know, he's, you know, at a little over 290, probably not going to be your classic, you know, offensive tackle. He's got the feet, got the hands. If he gets his head in the game every play, you know, I mean, he's, more than a penalty a game, I think he averaged. I just don't think they can afford that. Uh, uh, but, uh, he's a different kind of, uh, you know, offensive tackle, but, but his skill set would allow him, uh, you know, to be that guy. I think Austin Jackson, I look at him, he looks like a left tackle to me, um, in every way. They've got a lot of big bodies. When I look at, you know, this roster, there are a lot of bodies who you think, could get the job done if they get the job done. I mean, they just look like they ought to be able to do it. Uh, we haven't seen that kind of development. I was a little disappointed in the development of the offensive line in general from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. I think that's one of the things that they, you know, you're going to take a look at strength and conditioning or weightlifting. I think you really got to look at player development, uh, and especially on that offensive line, and that's where the whole – physicality and practice comes in and how much do you need that to be able to develop players? How much do you need that for players to be able to compete? If you're a second team offensive lineman and, you know, for much of the season, you're out there in shorts, how do you beat that guy out in front of you? How do you push that guy out in front of you to get, you know, to get better? Um, so I think again, those are questions they've got to answer. We had a, uh, uh, email come in. Um, and he's just calling himself a member of the Peristyle. 
So he says, as a subscriber to the Peristyle, I've read many thoughts. I'm sorry. Many thoughtful and insightful articles from you, Dan, Keeley, Shotgun, and Chris and Gerard regarding the USC football team. Often the same issues come up on the P, as in the articles, questioning the physicality of practices, offensive scheme, play calling tendencies, game management, depth chart, substitution patterns, and on and on. Dan and Keeley have stated that Coach Helton and the staff are aware and have watched their instant analysis videos, so they know of the issues that are brought up. You, Dan, Coach Hyde, have all said uh, you personally like Clay, uh, Clay Helton and that he's respectful and, and considerate of the media. My questions are, what are the responses from Clay Helton, T. Martin, Clancy Pendergast, and staff regarding these issues? Are they candid with you personally off the record, or do you get the same quote-unquote coach speak we hear in the press conferences? And as we as fans... Uh, are we as fans in an echo chamber or are they as a staff in one where, quote, things are fine and then only ha- we have to make minimal tweets, tweaks? Thanks for all the in-depth quality content, a member of the Peristyle. Yeah, member, that's uh, that's the question. Uh, we do get a lot of coach speak. Uh, that's not unusual. You get coach speak everywhere you go. Okay. I mean, they just and I think. Even more so, maybe with, I you know somebody, they know like I'm just not probably blowing smoke. They know if I'm saying something, there might be a reason why I'm saying it, and it might be true. Uh, but I think they have a tendency to you know uh, kind of rally around the flag and, and maybe support the program support their assistant coaches support the players in ways in which they talk about the glass is always half full. And, you know, when we start talking about the places where the glass is half empty, uh, it isn't easy to get them to go there. I don't, I, I don't know if that's even in Clay's personality to just, I mean, on the inside, uh, we're not sure how candid they are with one another. I, I don't know the answer to that. They're learning. I mean, let's face it. He's, uh, he's got a lot to learn. He's, uh, to run the USC football program, uh, with Clay's, you know, experience and background is, is a lot. And, and a lot of good things have happened. I mean, his own, his own, you know, his personality, his, his, he's a good, he's a good person. He's a you know a good guy. He he he's you know an honest, decent, all those good things. And he brought a lot of that. He brings a lot of that quality that USC really needed after after a time. Uh, they needed all of those things. Uh, now you've got that uh, you know to build on, but now you also need somebody who you know can make those really tough decisions and and and. You know, the Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, you know, Davis Sweeney, those kinds of tough, tough decisions that you got to be able to make as to, you know, how you're going to attack something and how you're going to do this and that. I think in terms of recruiting, USC stands, it's in such a good place that the combination of Clay's personality, who he is, the fact that people trust him, parents trust him, players trust him. I think it really does well with USC and the history and tradition. But I think there there are places where 
Clay may have to overcome his own background, you know, as a quarterback, as a uh, member of the, uh, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian staff that that were scrambling around. Some of it, a lot of it was self, uh, you know, inflicted. A lot of it were, you know, self-inflicted wounds. Some of it was the NCAA stuff. Um, and then, um, you know, his decade at uh, Memphis, when Memphis was really, you know, they just weren't the kind of national power and they weren't doing the kinds of things you got to be able to do at USC. So now he's at USC and he's got this program uh, with aspirations to win national championships. This program has won a lot of national championships. This program that has a lot going for it. Uh, and he has to figure out how do we get there from here? And, uh, and to do that, they probably have to do some things differently from anything that Clay has ever done in his career. And this is where you figure out. I mean, and, and it's easy to say this. Some guys can absolutely get it done at that level. Some guys, you know, you look at the college basketball right now and you look and you say, some guys can coach and some guys can't. Some guys can get their team to get the right shot at the end of the game and some guys can't. And some, you know, and some guys can figure out how do I take this team and win with these guys? What do we have to do? Well, that's what has to happen at USC. And, uh, that next step is where Clay has to go. And I think it's somewhere where Clay has never been. And I'm not saying that he can't, obviously guys, a lot of guys get to get there who haven't been there before. Uh, so, and, and if you're a USC fan, you probably, you really got to pull for Clay to be able to make that step and take that step. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, we can predict all we want and we can question all we want, but it's going to happen on the practice field starting in the spring, probably already a little bit happening in, uh, you know, in, uh, in winter workouts. But, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's really hard to win a national championship. There aren't many people capable of doing it. There aren't many people that are at, at a place where they can do it, who can do it? It's really, really hard. There are so many things involved. It's so many things you got to get right. And I think it's harder to do it now than it, than it was. But, uh, one of the advantages you've got at USC is you have more good players than most of the rest of the Pac-12 put together. You've got more boots, you know, five-star players than all the rest of the Pac-12 put together. So, if you're a USC, you ought to be able to look at the, the way things line up every year and say, you know, we've got a good chance to get to that Final Four. We really do. If you run the table in the Pac-12, which USC has a chance to do every year, uh, you got a chance. And that's all you can do. And, 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 and all you can do is try to get there every year. And if you get there, uh, are you ready to not just beat the Pac-12, but to beat whoever that other team or teams, you know, coming out of somewhere else. And, uh, you know, obviously Alabama has upped the ante big time as to what that would take. Um, so, so we'll see. I mean, I just, we don't know. 
Uh, I don't know the Clay knows. He's going to start finding out, I think, this spring. Uh, I think the reaction of how does he react to the Notre Dame game, how does he react to the Ohio State game, and how does that carry over to the spring, I think will tell you an awful lot. I think it will. And uh, we will see. Looking forward to the spring, you know, more than most, I would say. Um, we want to switch, switch gears and talk some USC hoops. But before we do that, Dan, uh, I want to tell everyone about Trader Joe's. Um, so I had an interesting experience last week. I went to Trader Joe's. I was having a, an HOA meeting. We have a, we have a small, you know, the group of where our, our, my house is. There's a small group of us. I was hosting the meeting and I needed to pick up some, picked up some beers and some, some bottles of wine. So we're going to have a good meeting. And I was like, oh, I'm going to stop by Trader Joe's. And then, you know, I always like look for different things and I found some like frozen hash browns that I haven't had before. So I picked those up, but uh, I tweeted out a picture. I had my Trader Joe's USC bag and I, t- I didn't tweet it. I uh, Instagrammed a picture of it, that and some of the stuff I got. Thank you, Trader Joe's. And, um, all these responses are like, where do you get those bags? Where do you get those bags? So people are still really curious about getting those bags. So I actually emailed our contacts over at Trader Joe's. We are going to, you know, we're looking at it. It's not for sure, but we're going to try to set something up maybe for the spring game. On campus, we don't know where it's going to be yet. So once we get more details on the spring game, uh, potentially have something there and potentially Trader Joe's would bring some of those bags. So people are really into those bags. So it's, it's just in the planning stage. I just want to let people know. But if you're planning to go to the spring game, there, there, there could likely be an opportunity to get one of those bags. But yeah, that, and I tried those, uh, hash browns actually this morning. I made like, uh, actually I think it was all Trader Joe's. I had Trader Joe's eggs. Uh, the chicken andouille sausage that I cut up and, and put it in an egg scramble. And then I, um, you know, fried up those, uh, hash browns, which I love. I love hash browns, but I only get them when I'm, I, I hate making them at home. It's always like, I don't know, it's grinding up potatoes and stuff or, or, uh, grating them. It just never seemed to come out right. So this, these were cool. They were frozen. And, uh, I don't know if you've tried them before, Dan, but they're pretty cool. I have actually, I, I saw those, uh, at Trader Joe's and thought, well, that's a good idea. So yeah, I, uh, <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I had, I had my eye on those the first time I noticed them. Yep. Yeah. Check They're them out. Good. Really um, good. But yeah. So, and you can follow, they don't do Twitter, but you can follow Trader Joe's on Instagram. So that's why I put, put an Instagram post up there. I'm not doing a lot of Instagram, but I try to do some. Um, all right. So we'll keep you up to date on those because everyone loves those bags. That's everyone responded to that post. Like, how can I get that bag? How can I get that bag? Um, all right, let's, uh, let's talk some hoops. So we have a couple emails, but I'm going to play you this, uh, voicemail first, get your reaction and we'll read the emails afterwards. Here you go. Hi guys, Daniel out of Los Angeles. Uh, quick question, uh, for the USC basketball program, uh, Dan Weber. Um, so USC cleared, uh, Chemezi Metu and, and did not do the same thing for DeAnthony Melton as quickly as possible or even at all like they did for Chemezi. Uh, just quick question. Um, well, two. One, is it because North Carolina, the Dukes of the world, and all the big-name programs were all named in that same thing, and they figured that if, you know, DeAndre Ayton and all these other people can play, or if, 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 if you know, if they can play, maybe we can play him, and, you know, if they have to take us down, everyone else has come down with us. Or number two, is it because uh, USC simply um, feels that, you know, they probably would have to forfeit all the games they played in this year in the past year, so you might as well just play him anyway because him and Boatwright, you know, they would have to, you know, give it to those – they would have to, uh, you know, give it of those games if it, if it was a, a infraction. So you might as well play them because, you know, going forward. 
So those two questions, is is that one of the reasons why, I mean, or is it because of the, all the schools named? Because it, it seems like if if you can't take down Duke or North Carolina or Arizona, I might as well play my guy because you can't you can't take me down without taking them down. Uh, thanks, guys. Fight on. Well, I think it's a good question. I, Hi, guys. I think three things Hi, guys. apply here. And I think, um, I think it's obvious that uh, – uh, uh, you know, Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky and uh, Arizona, what have you, they probably weren't going to do that. But I, I think the most obvious part of this is, from what I hear, is all the schools were working very closely with the NCAA. And I think the NCAA made the call here. And I think the NCAA made the call that they could not afford anybody in that group 20 or whatever number of schools to make anybody ineligible. Because let's say early Saturday morning, USC declares Chemezi ineligible because they say, oh, my gosh, we got the the Anthony Melton uh, deal and and we're afraid of the NCAA and we better just uh, uh, sit him down. Then the rest of the day, every single game on television, they would have had to ask the question, well, USC sat their guy down. Why didn't Kentucky? Why didn't uh, you know Duke? Why didn't North Carolina? Why did Arizona? They don't want to have to answer that question. The NCAA does not want to answer that question between now and the end of the final, or the, the uh, March Madness or whatever. They want to put that off. They want that to go into uh, no man's land and have some commission come in and do whatever it is they do because. They do not want to put their $800 million a year or whatever, it's $5.8 billion total contract uh, with CBS, uh, you know, up for grabs. They don't want that thing to be endangered. So when USC has a problem and it's just USC, I don't think the NCAA could possibly care less. They wouldn't care what you did. But when USC's got a problem that all these other schools have, and it becomes an NCAA problem, then the NCAA looks and says, huh, what's best for us, the NCAA? So USC is riding on that at this point in time. That was the call, I'm sure. Uh, The NCAA could care less about DeAnthony Melton. He was on his own. He came along at the wrong time. uh, And USC, you know, strung him out and then said, we're not going to take a chance. And and you do make the point. At this point in time, how many games are you going to hit the forfeit? You know, the season is, you know, you're 29 games into the season. So in the last few games, you know, it doesn't matter uh, all that much. And, again, just because your name is on some expense account of some runner for some agent, I mean, let's face it, I think most people realize there have been guys who put things down on their expense account that maybe didn't actually happen. Maybe you were supposed to take somebody to lunch or supposed to give them money. Maybe you didn't. <laughs> Good but point. you might not want your boss to know that. <laughs> so you might still put it down on your expense account. And is that enough to convict the person who supposedly got something? I don't know. I mean, they make a good point. Michigan State, for example, they make a good point. That, that Bridges kid that came back and gave up millions of dollars to come back to try to help Michigan State, 
you know, win a national championship this year. And his mom apparently went out to lunch with one of these guys who wants to uh, represent him when he leaves school. And so the guy writes down $400 or whatever it was for the meal. Uh, is that, should that take that kid out of college basketball who, who, you know, again, could be a millionaire playing in the NBA? No, obviously not. And obviously something has to happen to turn this away from, you know, this sham amateurism stuff. I mean, let's face it, these kids are worth something. I mean, if you're, uh, for example, Trey Young, the freshman at Oklahoma, how valuable has he been to ESPN, to college basketball in general, to the University of Oklahoma in general? Is he getting anything out? No. I mean, you know, the, probably uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, going to the um, who I really like, the Oklahoma basketball coach, Lon Kruger, is getting hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of shoe company money. And let's face it, who's done more this year for the University of Oklahoma basketball, Trey Young or Lon Kruger? And so that, you know, the disparity in terms of uh, what some of these kids who are producing the value uh, and I'm not, you know, somebody that they're worth everything. It's all about the players. No, it's about the school, the tradition, the his, all of that. But when you get onto the margins, players probably ought to be able to get some benefit from what they're doing, whether that's loans to be repaid in the future. They're, 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 you know, open it up to the free market and let each, uh, each player have his own agent. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure the coaches would like that, but, uh, and I, I'm thinking they probably don't want their players signing shoe contracts, but basically right now you have the schools and the coaches using the players for say shoe contracts that benefit the coaches in the schools and don't benefit the players at all. Uh, and, and I think they've got to figure out a more equitable way of doing this. The, uh, Olympics has certainly figured out a way that, you know, they were for all those years. Uh, you can only be an amateur if you, you know, if you're not an amateur, you can't, well, they, they're way past that now in the Olympics. And college sports ought to be able to figure that out. And that's where Mark Emmert, I think, has been so, uh, such a bad leader for the NCAA because he came in on this whole crusade for amateurism. And if Reggie Bush got something or if, somebody close to Reggie Bush got something. It's the worst thing that's ever happened in college sports. Uh, and it's not. And uh, I think it was hypocritical to do that. And it was uh, uh, really, I mean, here's the NCAA. They're out there trying to sell everything they can sell. They're out there trying to sell, you know, uh, packages to the final four where you get all this kind of, you know, they're out there trying to, you know, court every single sponsor. And, and I always thought it was funny. We'd go to the Final Four, and we knew some of the NCAA guys, and they'd be driving their, uh, you know, courtesy car, their free, it was Oldsmobile at the time. They'd be driving their free Oldsmobiles and valet parking them, and I'm thinking, here you guys are. You couldn't bounce a ball, you know, off, you know, if, you, if your life depended on it, and you're driving all these free cars and getting all this free stuff, and the kids who were, actually making it interesting for people to come to the final four. If they drove up in a, in a new automobile, they'd be, uh, you know, you'd throw them out of the, out of the game. And so, uh, it's, it's pretty obvious, uh, the model that they've got for the NCAA has to change, uh, and change drastically and immediately. 
Um, we had a couple other basketball questions. We'll spend too much time on it, but I'll, I'll read you the first text. It says, hey guys, Matt from Red Bluff. I actually looked where, looked up where Red Bluff is. It's like, uh, I think it's a couple hours north of Sacramento. Um, this yeah, question's for Andrew. Yeah. I've I been there. Oh, you yeah. have? Okay. Well, maybe you said hi to Matt. Um, he said this question. <laughs> I wanted, uh, I was wondering what your thoughts were regarding the college basketball investigations. Do you think the FBI will target football next? If so, how scared should programs be? Thanks for all you do and fight on. I don't know. I think there's going to be enough uh, uh, negative uh, uh, reaction to the FBI. I mean, if I'm if I'm the FBI, I don't think I want to tell people the FBI that didn't even follow up at all on the tip about Nicholas Cruz in Parkland, Florida, that they just discarded that. They didn't pass it on. They didn't pay any attention to it, that they spent three or 4,000 hours of listening to wiretaps that they were, they had an informant sitting in at a luncheon at the uh, Radisson with a USC assistant coach. And then they tail him to Florida, to Tampa to arrest him, but they couldn't do anything about the shooter in Parkland. Come on, get your priorities straight. I don't know what in the world, uh, the FBI and the Department of Justice are doing trying to enforce NCAA rules. I mean, what's wrong with people who are agents trying to sign up players? I mean, that's what they do. They have to do it. It should be legal. Uh, okay, you know, a guy who, uh, what, what was the one guy at the meeting was a tailor. He wanted to get the, the ability to do these, you know, slick suits, I guess you would say that those guys wear, uh, to their, you know, the draft, you know, draft day. Uh, come on. It's just, uh, if there's, I mean, uh, now if we're talking about, you got people throwing games and shaving points and, you know, money is changing hands and, 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 and we're involved with gambling and that kind of corruption. That's, I'll, I'll be fine if the FBI and the Department of Justice gets involved there. But when you're talking about people just trying to say, I'd like to represent that guy, even if an assistant coach says to a player, yeah, why don't you represent that guy? And maybe, you know, the assistant coach took some money. I don't like that. I'm just not sure what kind of a threat that is to, uh, you know, American society. I, I, I just think that's so far down on the list of, of, of threats that, uh, you know, that, so are they going to go to football? I don't know. Football would be harder because you don't have that one and done. And, uh, the, the, the thing that makes it so valuable now is the kid coming out of high school in basketball has got that one year and they're really trying to come down on him hard in that one year in terms of where he goes to school and what shoes they're wearing at that school and who's going to represent him uh, after one semester, basically, you know, one and a half semesters in college. Uh, so the, the time frame uh, and the number of players is much more compressed in basketball. In football, you don't necessarily have the same guys coming out of high school who are worth that same top dollar coming out of college, and you've got it over a longer period of time. So, so I think football is a different uh, a different species. And 
I'm not sure if I'm an FBI informant. I want to be sitting in on a meeting uh, in Alabama with uh, with Nick Saban, for example, <laughs> which is the thought. You know, I might be rather be rather sitting in on a meeting in Moscow, uh, you know, with Putin than uh, sitting in <laughs> on a meeting in Tuscaloosa with Nick Saban. Uh, so I'm not sure that you're going to see the FBI go there. I, I really, I, I, I think the the negative feedback from this whole thing is uh, it's not going to be good for the FBI. The FBI is not in a very good place right now to begin with, and I just think it's uh, it's a little bit like when the poor Pac-12 network would say, we're going to put on this great show and they would send the release out. And the reaction to the release is who gives a whatever we can't get, get the Pac-12. So now you're making us even madder. I mean, if you're a PR guy for the Pac-12, you probably don't want to tell people some of the stuff you're doing because they can't, they can't, you know, get the show. And the same way with the FBI, I think, if I were the FBI, I wouldn't want to spend a lot of time telling people all that they've done in this particular case. Cause it's like basketball coaches, shoes, assistant coaches. Are you kidding me? What's going on here? So, so I don't think it's going to football and it shouldn't. We have one last basketball one. Our buddy Nick, uh, from Cyprus, big Nick 21 USC on the P question about the basketball season slash team so we have actually a few of them but i'll read them all question is what do you make of all the allegations against the team with boatwright metu and melton and what do you think of the season heading into senior night versus uh he put ugly i think he meant ucla so probably a typo there um (laughs) last what does usc have to do in the tournament to not have this season be considered the 2012 usc football type season then he said last again, so I don't think he understands what last is. What, do you, what is this team? Uh, what do you do to this team if you were uh, Coach Andy Enfield and Lynn Swan? Fight on from Nick. Well, I think we kind of covered the legal part of it. I, I, I don't think we know what what having their names on that, that list mean. I think with the Anthony Melton, obviously, they try to get close to you. And if they can, you know, offer some money to a family friend, uh, that's what they do. Um, uh you know, you don't want to see ever an assistant coach involved in something like that. You know, if they're going to go around completely around the program and, and go to the family friends, I don't know how you police that. I mean, how could you possibly, uh, you know, be sure which family friend is meeting with which, you know, which family friend is flying to Las Vegas to meet with what agent? Um, uh, I think that's, that's almost an impossibility. Uh, as far as, uh, where the basketball program goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're 20 and nine, but you look at how they went into Utah and they really got after Utah, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, denying, speeding Utah up, playing the passing lanes, deflecting, uh, getting steals, running their offense off of transition, getting those open threes or taking it to the glass. Um, all the things, I mean, this is a team. It's got a, a group of kind of, you know, long, lean, long-armed, quick hands, quick feet athletes. I mean, I've been saying for a couple of years, that's how I want them to play. I want them to come out, not play you half court, not try to beat you half court, take your game away from you, speed you up, play, make you, for example, Utah's a really good team at home. They couldn't play. They have nowhere near the athletes USC have. 
they could not uh, stay on the floor with USC. Whenever USC, the USC had two big runs, when they ever, you know, went after them, they just took Utah out of the game. I think that's the only way this team can play. Uh, but when they play that way, this is a really good basketball team. To be honest, I like to see them play the way that, if you recall, Florida Gulf Coast played four years ago uh, when they went from the 15th seed, won two games in the NCAA tournament, and uh, you know got to the Sweet 16 under Andy. Uh, that always seemed like the model with the athletes he's got. I mean, even with just eight now, they basically got eight guys that you could call starters. Uh, they've got more depth than, than most people they play. And they can play that way. Uh, they, they're interchangeable uh, parts. Uh, they work much better than if they just play half court and try to run half court offenses. Although I'll say this, they're starting to really get it to where when they need a half court basket, uh, Jordan McLaughlin has really gotten to be pinpoint accurate on those uh, lob passes. And, and you got Elijah Stewart and Chemezi you know, can get behind the defense and they're doing things that it's really hard for people to react to. And I would say this, Chemezi has become a better post player uh, and that he's more patient and his left hand has become a real weapon. And uh, that soft left hand hook uh, when they really need a basket. And uh, so they've matured. Uh, and I just like, you know, I like the thought of, we're going to take you out of your game. We're going to take you out of your comfort zone. Uh, that's a style. Had USC played that way all year, I look at their record, they probably ought to be 26-3, and three, and they probably should have won the Pac-12. I mean, really, they really should have. They, they should not have lost to Washington, should not have lost to Stanford, should not have lost to UCLA, two games they had well in hand with just a couple of minutes to go, and they stopped playing. Um Maybe they won't stop playing now. I mean, I think this is a team that that could finish out pretty strongly. I mean, obviously they got just one game, UCLA at home, um, and with UCLA, you know, losing both games in the mountains and USC sweeping both games in the mountains, uh, it sets up pretty well. But again, they got to go out and take UCLA out. I mean, they they obviously owe US UCLA one from from the, the game they lost uh, at Poly uh, a couple of weeks ago that they never should have lost. So we'll see. I don't think the story's been written about this USC team. Uh, if you think of, they're missing two guys who people think are clearly NBA players already. So how many teams could afford to lose two NBA talents, the Anthony Melton and, um, and uh, Benny Boatwright? And I know there may be some you know question about Benny. But lose two NBA talents and still, you know, finish second in the Pac-12. And depending on what the heck happens in Arizona next week or two, maybe have a real shot to win the Pac-12, you know, uh, tournament. Uh, So there's a very lot to be determined. I mean, it's awful that this team has been on the bubble, you know, been, you know, in the last four out or the first four out or whatever, last four in, first four out, and a lot of the bracketology. This team's too good to be to be there. And Saturday they played like it. Like they knew they were they were better than that. And for sprints or spurts uh on uh, on uh Thursday at uh at Colorado they played like that. So I mean just winning games on the road I think is a really good sign. Uh, for this team. So 
They, I think they can still write their story. Again, they're way better than their record, but uh, they haven't showed it. They haven't beaten enough good teams. They really should have beaten uh, Oklahoma. They should have beaten Texas A&M early in the year. Should have never lost to Princeton. I mean, that's just incomprehensible that they lost to Princeton. But their wins in the Hawaii tournament were pretty good, uh, especially Middle Tennessee. That was a good win. New Mexico State was a good win. So, uh, you know, this is a team that uh, hasn't written its story completely yet, uh, and we will see. Uh, Nick, good question, though. Okay, we got two more for you. These are kind of uh, just college football general stuff, not necessarily USC. Uh, Dan from the class of 1962, I really appreciated Dan's comments about the disparity in income and support between the Pac-12 and the SEC and the Big Ten, even the Big 12. USC would have leverage to rid itself of the Pac-12 network and the lousy Larry Scott income deals if USC would consider leaving the Pac-12 and joining either the SEC or the Big Ten. Either of those conferences would love to have USC in their conference if for no other reason than national exposure and California recruiting. USC and the Big Ten West would be in the playoff picture every year. Dan, I really appreciate your critique of the Pac-12 and how it's dragging down USC because Larry Scott wants to make us uh, have parity with Oregon State. Fight on, Dan, class of 1962. Uh, that, the whole Big Ten thing would be really interesting. You'd probably have to take at least one more team with you, uh, I would think, uh, whether that be UCLA Man, how attractive would that be? The Big Ten took Rutgers for God's sakes, and they took they took Rutgers, and they're going to the uh, their basketball tournament to Madison Square Garden this week, a week early, which is going to require their champion to be off for two weeks before the NCAA tournament, and it required them to compress their schedule during the regular season, just in order to get the New York TV market with Rutgers, to get New York New Jersey TV market. Uh, they did it last year. They did it by going to, uh, by bringing Maryland in when they brought them in a few years ago. They went to the, uh, took their basketball tournament to, uh, uh, maybe interesting. If, if you're the Big Ten and you say, what? We could get, you know, USC. We could get Los Angeles. And I don't know uh, if you got UCLA or if you got Arizona State and Phoenix or whatever. Uh, you could have New York. And Washington D.C. and Chicago and L.A.—that'd be a pretty good TV market, pretty good TV conference, I would think. Uh, but if, I, I just think it's the kind of thing they should be exploring. I, I think they really—that's where USC really needs leadership right now in terms of where do you, you got six years stuck in this uh, horrible TV deal and stuck with this horrible TV network, and you got to start figuring out alternatives right now. And, uh, I think some of those, I, you know, I'd throw them out there and explore them and see, um, you know, or do you, you know, how you work out all the, uh, the other sports. If you're, you know, if you're, uh, uh, you know, in the, or in the big 10, I mean, I think you could do the big 10 for football, basketball. What do you do for, uh, for everything else? Do you join, uh, you know, the mountain West or whatever for the other sports? I don't know, but uh, uh, I just think I would I would do all of the things that you need to do to explore, uh, you know, where do you go from here? And the same with the Big Twelve and explore uh, that possibility of a of a of a, a, a double uh, you know 
a two division big big 12 where you had a big 12 west and a big 12 whatever you call it the big pack or or something like that <laughs> and you know take four four teams with you and and, and go that direction but boy I'd, I'd make it really clear uh and there you know when you talk to people at usc at the very top level and you say things like you do know at the end of this contract there will never be another contract where USC and Oregon State and Washington State get the same amount of revenue out of the contract. And they will tell you, yes, we know that. Okay? So I think the recognition is there. It's, what's happening now is not going to keep happening in the future. It, the TVs, however the TVs organized, they're not going to let you. They don't want to pay the same money for USC and Oregon State. I'm sorry, they just don't. And Oregon State's got a great, you know, baseball. They're number two in the nation in baseball, which is kind of mind-boggling in a way. But you know, give them credit for doing some of the things they're doing. But they just can't have, you know, an equal share of revenue with USC. How much more does it cost USC to run a program in Los Angeles than it does to run a program at Corvallis? Uh, it isn't going to keep happening that way, but USC has to figure out what are the best, all the possible alternatives and where we could go from here and how do we get there and not have it, you know, catch up on, you know, in five years and they say, Oh, now what do we do? Or, you know, and, and do a better job of planning than they did for the Coliseum. I mean, it's just, you can't only look at one part of the equation. You got to figure it all out. And there's going to be a lot of moving parts, uh, going forward when it comes to, um, you know, college, uh, you know, TV. I mean, an unbelievable amount of moving parts and, and a lot of people with different answers. And, um, USC's got to get it right. And it's really important for USC to get it right. We don't know exactly what right is right now, but um, this is the time to be figuring it out. Yeah, they got to figure that out. All right, one last one. Stephen and Poway, he said, as I read about the proposed new transfer rule in college football that would allow students to transfer if their coach leaves for any reason, I can't help but think there is a conflict of interest. Do you agree? Here is the scenario. Hypothetically, what if USC decided to fire defensive back coach Ronnie Bradford? According to my reading of the proposed rule, all of the DBs could leave USC, including the highly touted incoming freshman class, in essence creating free agency for those players affected by the firing. What would USC do without any DBs? Would they be able to recruit more players right away? Maybe, but since college recruiting has a, a definite cycle, this would put USC in serious jeopardy. So, USC would then have a huge uh, distinctive uh, disincentive to fire any coach for any reason. So what coach would not want to vote for or strongly advocate for that proposal since it would create a huge disincentive for universities to fire any coach? Coaches may try to advocate for this proposal in the quote-unquote interest of players, but actually it would be their own nests they are feathering. Let me know if I'm missing something, Steve and Poway. Well. I think it only applies to the head coach. Uh, I don't think, uh, I don't think anybody cares enough about the assistant coaches to, you know, hire or fire. I mean, you know, is it the position coach? Is it the guy who recruited you? No. So I don't think, it, I don't think they go there. Uh, but I do think, uh, it, 
it is a disincentive for universities to fire head coaches. I don't think there's any question about that because then that that frees up the team. Uh, but the the reality, I mean, the USC was in that situation where they freed up everybody to go, as as you recall. How many left and did well after leaving? I think one, right, Ryan? I mean, uh, what's his name? Went to Tennessee. Uh, Malik Jackson, um, I think. Was that right? Yeah, yeah. And he was it. Did anybody else leave and go and do well somewhere else? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't recall that any of them did. So if you're at USC, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe if you're in Oregon State and you're thinking, do we let this guy go or don't we let this guy go? And you've got three or four really good players and you realize, you know what? All three or four of those guys are leaving. Um, it's a, it, it's kind of a, that's a, an interesting situation and it would, would cause schools to say, gee, I don't know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, so, so I don't know how that one's going to play. I, I don't, I really don't know that one. I mean, I could see the one, you know, the different ones to change the transfer rule to give them a one-time chance to transfer, um, you know, without sitting out. Uh, but, um, but to tie it in with the coach, don't know if that, uh, if that flies or not. And, and yes, there is kind of a, a conflict of interest there. Uh, I don't know. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see, you're not going to see like all the DBs transfer because what you lose one position coach. Like transferring is not like, easy you got to go to a whole different school like it, it'll work for certain people you want to have that option i think is what the you know of what people are going forward but i don't think you're going to see you know squadrons of players all transferring at one time uh, I, just, I just don't think that's realistic now I, I mean you know one guy one transfer is hard you know to try i mean they wouldn't all be able to go to the same place they'd almost all have to go to different places so now you got guys that are, you know, maybe buddies with one another. They're all having to break up and go somewhere else. And uh, as always in that scenario, it's probably hard to leave USC. I mean, USC is kind of a cool place to go to school. And uh, there are, you know, the reality of going somewhere else is kind of, you know. So, and we're, you know, we're only looking at it from USC's point of view. But, um, but, uh, it would, you know, it would certainly make schools think twice if letting their head coach go, uh, allowed their players all to be free because the few that really could probably fairly easily transfer would be the ones you could not afford to have transfer. Not sure all positions, but you might get three or four guys, say from Oregon State. Man, that would be a killer if you're Oregon State and trying to get going again. Um, you, you can't afford that. And uh, those would be the guys people would say, wow, we got film on that guy. He played great against us, and we got a spot. So I'd be interested. And I don't know that they always figure out all of the consequences of some of the rules. I mean, that's been some of the problem with the NCAA over the years is they just keep people who are a little bit disconnected from the reality pass rules and say, well, this sounds good in principle, 
And then the reality of it is eh, maybe not so good. Um, so we shall, we shall see how, the, how this plays out. I, I, I don't think anybody's got a really good feel about how something probably is going to happen in terms of, uh, of the transfer rule and, 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 and some of those different things going forward. But I don't know that anybody's got a real, real good feel of exactly how this is going to play out. Because some of the scenarios, you say, well, that sounds good. That sounds fair. Then you say, oh, but wait, I don't know if that's if that's fair. Again, I, I tend to want to be fair as possible to the individual players. Yes. There's no question about it. Yeah. However, the school does have some, uh, I think you've got to give them some, uh, some thought as to, you know, I mean, obviously we don't like it that coaches just can get up and leave and the players can't. That doesn't seem right. Uh, they're getting paid millions of dollars and they can just pick up and go. And the players who aren't getting paid, uh, are stuck. So somewhere you hope there's a solution, uh, but you gotta, you know, take into consideration every single part of, of your solution. All right. That's Dan Weber. Check him out at uscfootball.com. Uh, thanks, Dan, for coming on, sharing your insights. We had thanks a... for the questions. Those are some interesting ones. Yeah. Some going in different directions. Uh, that's guys have a lot of time to think right now. And then we'll get back to football and we'll be, you know, more football uh, specific. Uh, but those are some good, thoughtful, uh, that's some good, thoughtful stuff. Certainly. Great questions. Uh, thanks to everyone for sending in your questions, email, text your voicemails. Uh, thanks to Dan Weber. Thanks to our sponsors, Aura Organics, and of course, Trader Joe's. And thanks to everyone listening. We do appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to our little show. So we'll be back. Uh, might try to do a recruiting podcast this week. And I think I'm going to get a special guest this week too. And then we'll do some spring football stuff, uh, starting next week. So, um, uh, should be some interesting shows come up. So make sure you check all that out at parastylepodcast.com and uscfootball.com. So thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.